We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready for the final shot of the third quarter. It's Kemba. Fire it You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. Now broadcasting with your host, Richie and Spencer. Welcome back, BuzzBeat listeners, Queen City Hoops readers, and Hornets fans. We're back for our 27th episode of BuzzBeat Radio, and now officially into NBA Draft Month. For our new audience on Dash Radio, BuzzBeat is a Charlotte Hornets show where you will get in-depth analysis about all things surrounding the Charlotte Hornets. Listeners, don't forget BuzzBeat Radio is a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. Please check out almightyballer.com for other great shows covering the rest of the NBA. We continue our NBA draft coverage today and are joined by a fellow Almighty Baller Radio Network member and draft enthusiast that I will introduce shortly. In this episode, we are discussing lottery sleepers, high-value prospects that could possibly fall to the Hornets at 11, and we'll discuss the name Charlotte has closely been linked to so far. If you haven't already, please go check out our draft page on queencityhoops.com where you'll find profiles on, I think, eight prospects, seven or eight prospects right now that I've gotten done. And also, we've published three in-depth draft articles pegging different prospects against each other in our Hornets Draft Buzz series. OG Ananobi versus Justin Jackson actually just published earlier this week, so go check that out. Reese Helms and I put that one together. All right, before going any further, let's check in. With my wonderful co-host, Richie Handles Randall. Richie, you took the reins to the show in the last episode and flew solo. First of all, how was that experience? And then second of all, are you considering leaving me and starting your own gig now? (laughs) Yeah, the experience was uh, definitely different. No dialogue happening there. Just me by myself. Felt a little weird. Felt a little weird. I felt like I was talking to nobody but I did get to gush on Donovan Mitchell a little bit, more than I probably could if I were uh, talking with you. That that was pretty cool. But as far as leaving and starting a new gig, yeah, that's not happening. All right, well, that's, that's good news. And I know it felt good for you to, to gush and talk about Donovan Mitchell probably longer than you should have. I know how 
much of a crush. It's, it's a really serious crush you have on him, uh, and I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. I'm sure we'll discuss that again today. Uh, and so that's a good that's a good segue here. Finally joining us today, fellow Almighty Baller member and the host to the Ode to Odin NBA Draft Podcast, Sean Darenthal. Sean, thanks for coming on. How are you, my friend? Good. Thanks for having me on. I, uh, I, this is maybe a little bit weird. I don't know. I don't listen to all of your guys stuff, but I do listen to almost, I would say almost every draft pod that you guys do. Like, like you said, I, uh, I'm a big draft Nick. And so I listen to, to all the stuff that I can get my hands on. So I'm excited because you guys have had takes that have differed from several people. I think, uh, you're, your um, North Carolina bias is <laughs> is a very interesting one that I'm loving as far as like college sports goes. So I I'm excited to be here with you guys for sure. Yeah, you've probably listened to some of the shows we've had Brian Geisinger on, who is just an ACC expert, stats aficionado. Yeah. That guy can yeah. find anything in the book on ACC. So we talk a lot of ACC hoops, especially during draft season. There is a little bias there, but. I'll be honest. I mean, the the two guys, really Harry Giles and Justin Jackson in this draft, I I don't, I hope that we haven't showcased much bias towards them. I have, you know, I'm kind of high on Harry Giles, but Justin Jackson, not so much. Hopefully we'll talk about those again today. But again, Sean, you know, from coast to coast, uh, the NBA draft and the prospects probably better than anybody else in the almighty ball radio network. So we're really happy to have you on. So let's jump right in here, and I appreciate you listening. And I have listened to some of your shows as well. And Richie and I figured out pretty quickly we need to have you on. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate to, that. Yeah, to up our draft coverage. So so let's jump right in here. And the first thing that I wanted to look at tonight, because inevitably every single draft, there's always – and it, this has become kind of a theme for the Hornets because this is kind of in that range that they've picked now for the last two, three, four seasons. Inevitably, there's always a guy in the top ten that falls – it's really important for the Hornets this year because I think after the first 11 to 12 prospects, this draft really kind of falls off a cliff. And the Hornets are right there on the back end of that. So, Sean, when you look at this draft and you look at the guys that have consistently been in that top 10 range, can you give us a few names that you, you think could possibly fall to the Hornets at 11? Yeah, this is a really, really interesting question because there has been a general consensus. I mean, at the beginning, there was like a little bit of different opinion, but there has been such consensus about this draft class for a little while. And I don't know exactly why that is. Obviously, this draft has been touted for a couple of years now. It's really interesting. So maybe it's just familiarity, that kind of thing. Maybe the mainstream's getting, maybe the, the two streams are kind of merging. I, I don't know what it is, but it's diff- like this question that you're asking me is difficult because so many of these guys seem locked in. The guy that really jumps off the page first that I, at least I think should slide is Lowry Markinen. And I don't even know, like maybe at 11, if someone else isn't there, like if Nilakin is not there and Collins aren't there, um, then I think you definitely take him. But I, I don't even know if I would have him there. I'm not very high on Markinen at all. And then obviously like if Collins gets to you guys, I think that's a perfect match regardless of the fact that you, know, you have a few like uh, white centers on your, on, in your draft recent history. Uh, Nilakina is obviously a great pick there, but those guys are kind of slotted around that. Anyway, I think the one guy that I could see falling, uh, I don't know. I, I could see him going at three to Philly. So you probably know who I'm talking about Malik monk, mm-hmm. but honestly I could see other teams not really liking him and wanting yeah. to swing on a deer and Fox, maybe Jonathan Isaac, 
falls a little farther than you think. You know, Dennis Smith probably. I think a lot of teams are starting to gain traction on Dennis Smith. I I could definitely see a team falling in love with Zach Collins when he comes into workout and he shoots like 60% from three. Um, Nilakina definitely somebody can fall in love with him. I I can really see people kind of souring on Monk's versatility because he really has just like one extreme skill, which we all know is shooting, right? Uh And then he's really, really not that good at much else. And there are a few things that are actually pretty bad in his profile. Now, I don't think that he should necessarily be available at 11, but um, I think he's one guy to maybe watch. Like if I have to pick kind of like a wild pick, right? If I had to have a hot take on this one, I think, I think Monk, like it's possible. I can see people souring on him enough to where he can get all the way to 11. Well, you know, Sean, that's really interesting because I mean, dating back and Richie, you know, this dating back to the, to the college basketball season at the end of the NBA season, we were first, when we were first really starting to look at prospects, we all said, I mean, I, we, we were on the record saying, look, there's enough about Monk and it starts with his physical profile that probably make you believe that this guy can fall. I mean, he's six, four, and that's probably being generous in yeah. shoes. Like you said, you can make the argument that he's a little bit of a one trick pony. I mean, th- this is, this is definitely the case. And there's one every single year. And he's exactly who I was hoping you were going to say of a guy that, in a week from now, we could have the same conversation, and all of a sudden, there's reports out there, and you know teams have had him in for workouts or whatever it is. All of a sudden, you know Monk's Monk stock is dropping, and uh, and I think the, all the reasons are, are kind of right out in front of you, and you mentioned a lot of them. All right, I wanted to touch on a few other things that that you brought up and that are interesting. You you mentioned a few of the point guards. Uh, you mentioned Dennis Smith. I, I agree with you. It seems like he's gaining steam. Darren Fox. It's been pretty consistent, but it but his weaknesses are, are very glaring, and shooting being the one. And then Frank, French Frank, and Tilakina. <laughs> so of those three guys, do you see every single one of those going in the top ten? Because what that would mean is that five point guards are drafted in the top ten, and that's very possible. But it with a gun to your head, do you think that all three of those guys will be taken in the top ten? Uh, no, I want to say no. I so I'm definitely not somebody who is like super worried about like mock drafts and stuff. And that's really, this is like really difficult game to play, obviously. Right. So like no one, no one does it better than, uh, than draft express. They definitely have their finger on the pulse of like, as least sources, you know, um, and their mock is, we all, we all know like the most accurate. If you're just trying to like guess which teams are going to pick which players. But like when, when I just look at it, Darren Fox, I, he has gotten like some recent buzz at number two, maybe because of like the head to head junk that people talk about with him and Lonzo that, you know, maybe he's the point guard of the Lakers future. Um, like we talked about Dennis Smith juniors gaining some traction and it seems like Nilakina has slowly been falling in boards over the year, over the course of the year. Like more people will, will hear more kind of nitpicky reports about maybe his defense, which, Everyone, I think, understands by this point that that's really his calling card, perimeter defense, that that's maybe not as good as uh, as we always thought it was. Maybe he's not really a point guard. Maybe he's a shooting guard because at Strasburg, he had to play uh, with two like super lightning quick American score first point guards. Um, you know, maybe that's his best slot because he's not really not great in the pick and roll, blah, blah, blah. I can see him sliding if it's anyone. I personally would have Deer and Fox out of the top, like far down, I think probably around like 12 or maybe 13 is when is where I have him slotted kind of in my tier system or whatever. And I think Nilakina should go much higher. But if you're just asking me to guess which one of those three will slide out, I think Nilakina probably is the most likely one to be there at 11. 
Yeah, I would I would probably tend to agree with you there. I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you saw the report, but it sounds like Dallas, uh, it was just from a few days ago here, it sounds like Dallas is actually trying to hire his coach from Strasbourg in France to join, I can't remember what the report was now, maybe to, to coach their summer league team or to actually join the staff. But obviously people are connecting the dots and, and looking at Dallas at number nine and saying, there's his uh, there's his landing spot, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense for Dallas. Actually, I I thought that before the report came out, they need a long term solution to point guard. I don't feel like Smith will be there. I could see them taking um, uh, Frank there. Uh, the, That's the interesting. Thing, that sounds yeah. a lot like college basketball, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, hiring no. like a dad to be a, an assistant coach or something to try to get a kid to go there or something like that. It's the world we live in, man. You know, so <laughs> no, I, I could definitely see that. All right, uh, Richie, any any names that you kind of had in your mind that we haven't touched on that top 10 that you're thinking could possibly fall to the Hornets or you're at least hoping they could fall there? Well, we talked about Monk, and we've we've probably said this since February because of his height. You know, he's 6'3", 6'4". We've talked about how he's an explosive scorer, but on the defensive end, he's pretty limited in who he can guard. Uh, we kind of talked about him, but I'm, I'm starting to wonder about Jonathan Isaac. I don't know if he'll fall to 11, but I could see him slipping a little bit. You know, he has the makeup and all the physical tools. He just looks like an NBA player. He might need to bulk up a little bit, but he just has that look of an NBA player. But it's been noted that he's somewhat of an underachiever and he might not reach his full potential. So I do wonder if he could slip a little bit. And I'm kind of crossing my fingers that he does slip to number 11 and we would snag him up real quick. But I'm not sure if he will. Sean, what are, what are your thoughts on, on Isaac? Do you think that he is pretty much slotted in the top 10 or could he fall out of the top 10? Yeah, I think he's pretty safely in there. In fact, I think that him, everyone has him at seven, right? Like the perfect fit in Minnesota, which I won't like go on my rant, but that's a little bit annoying if only because Tibbs like won't play just one big, right? Unfortunately, Carl Anthony Towns only played like 164 minutes at center last year, which is pretty ridiculous, I think. Um, so Isaac going there, uh, would be infuriating for me if only just because of waste of talent. But I think that he probably goes much higher. Like, I think that he's a top five pick for sure. I don't, I don't know why people have him so low. I think between him and Darren Fox, I think no contest. He's the better player. A lot of analytical models have him. I, I even saw one today from somebody who I really, really respect. Um, a guy at ESPN named Paul Sabin, like a, a really, really, really smart guy uh, has developed a, a really good model there based on a lot of things that make a lot of sense. And he has them. He has Isaac number one overall. Wow. A lot of other analytical models have him really high. I just I re- I would be frustrated if he fell out of the top five. I think I think he's pretty clearly a top four prospect. So I I don't see him falling. It would be really, really interesting to see him. Um, like in Dallas or like maybe in Charlotte, right? Like it would be definitely interesting to see him start on a little bit of a better team with a good coach right away or something like that. But, but no, I don't, I don't even think he gets, gets out of the top four. So that's, that's, that's interesting. So I watched Isaac pretty closely this season. We've talked about him on, on the show in the past. He's in the ACC right in our backyard, but you know, the interesting thing about Isaac, it's just, you look at his profile and, and you just, you look at him on a basketball court running around like a wing at 6'11", and he pops off the screen. I mean, you can't yeah. help but kind of fall in love watching him play. But he has very much a role player mentality out there. And I, and I think that's the most bothersome aspect of him. He's he's not a dog uh, on the basketball court. He shows flashes. But you know, the, a few interesting things. He played on a Florida State team that literally went 12 
<laughs> guys deep. Uh, and Leonard Hamilton was not afraid to play all 12 on a single night. So yeah. I think it was anybody, it was, I mean, I think it affected Dwayne Bacon's stock. Uh, and, and I think it, it might end up affecting Isaacs just because, you know, there's not 12 basketballs to go around. You know, there's one basketball and 12 really talented guys on a team that becomes tough. Um, and the second thing is he grew, he was a late bloomer. I mean, this guy grew six inches in like his junior or senior year of high school. Yeah. So, you know, below, I would, I would, when I watch him, it's like below the waist, he truly does move like a wing above the waist. He's still very clumsy and, and still doesn't know exactly how to use almost his Gumby like figure. Um, and I think it's really affected his shot, which has been really, really inconsistent, uh, at one year at Florida state. But I agree with you, Sean, you just look at his physical profile. You look at what he can do on the defensive end. If he fills out that frame a little bit, he runs like a wing. I mean, you're really talking about a Kevin Durant light. So the ceiling on Jonathan Isaac to me is as high as any guy in this entire draft class, but also think he has a very low floor just because of his motor. Uh, he just, he just has that role player type of type of game, which makes him really hard to forecast. But I think he's, I think he's super interesting. The only reason I asked is because I feel like his name is just not being brought up a lot. And like you said, Sean Fox, Fox is getting more pub than he is, but I think a lot of people, when you look at Isaac, you just see a basketball player, an NBA player. Fox, there's going to be some a learning curve there, but I don't know. I just don't know why his name is not being brought up enough. Yeah, it's interesting. I um, So I would push back on, on a few things. The discussion about the mentality has always kind of troubled me just a little bit. And, and I definitely see where you're going on this. There are times where he seems to defer on offense. But like if we're talking about like the dog mentality or whatever, um, and if you just watch the defensive side of the court, I don't think like there's any question that he's like a dog on defense, right? His motor, like you said, is incredible. Uh, there's so many things well that there's so many things that he does really, really well that often require a lot of strength, but that's something where he lacks a lot, but still because of a little bit of craft, because of a ton of like advanced intelligence, the way that he rotates is um, speaks to, I think, a feel that doesn't necessarily always show up on offense. I, I love him on the defensive end. And I, I'm not sure that I saw the same things uh, as far as like the waist up clumsiness, his block percentage is really great. Often like the offhand block stuff, which is, which is like, I think maybe telling of if you can extrapolate any of this, you know, the kind of coordination that you might easily see on offense. If you can extrapolate anything that anyone does on defense to talk about their coordination, offhand blocks, offhand steals, I think are maybe a decent indicator. I don't know. That's, that's maybe just a personal opinion, but I, I think that he's really, really good at that on offense. I think the reason that you didn't see him be more aggressive is because he's not a creator. And I, I think that's totally fine. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that it was passivity as much as just a lack of skill. I, his first step is a little bit slower than we think because he's so nimble and at six eleven with like the seven foot wingspan, um, because he looks so much like uh, all of the beloved super long threes in the NBA, right? That you mentioned the Kevin Durant light comparison. Um, he, I think he gets a rep for being a little more athletic than he is. So uh, there's like, a, there, there are differences, right? In the type of athleticism that, that we see. And we often use the words like explosive athlete, right? For somebody, maybe like a Dennis Smith uh, or a De'Aaron Fox. But I think Jonathan Isaac is much more of just a fluid uh, yeah. quick lateral player. 
He, mm-hmm. he doesn't have a great vertical, which is totally fine. He's obviously really effective. Oftentimes that matters a lot more on defense. Anyway, the, the, the kind of change of space stuff that you have to keep up with as far as those guards, he did really, really well at that size rotating. He does super, super well on offense, the catch and shoot motion. This is the one thing that I would talk about where I think that his coordination is fine. His catch and shoot motion is one of the most consistent. So like we talk about other yeah. shooters, people that are really skilled, like Jason Tatum, Lonzo Ball is really consistent. Marco Fultz is really consistent. I'm trying to think of someone else that we talk about. Larry Markin is obviously very consistent. I'd say Donovan Do- Mitchell is up there. Yes, sir. Well, Donovan Mitchell actually is a good example. I was going to point him out, <laughs> not to be contrary, but he's somebody who's, I think, has uh, a really high upside as far as a shooter, although his numbers for the first two years have been a little bit bad because of some consistency below the waist, inconsistency yeah. below the waist, and also above the waist. Whereas Jonathan Isaac, his inconsistency is almost always below the waist. And on catch and shoot stuff, he shot a really good percentage, super, super fluid mechanics for how long he was on off the dribble stuff, like late in shot clocks. Oftentimes you'd see plays where it was like the Xavier Rattan maze uh, and the Dwayne Bacon show, you know, my turn, your turn kind of thing. They ran this motion system, but it often kind of failed because they didn't have a lot of spacing. So Isaac would get stuff late in shot clocks and he'd have to jack up uh, kind of ill-advised threes, sometimes off the dribble. And that's really, really where his percentage shot late in the year um, because every team was just double teaming those first two primary guys that I mentioned. So right. I really actually really, really like Isaac as far as understanding offensively what he can do. He can make the first pass. His first step in creation is bad. He'll often catch and then he'll try to, he'll be in like a triple threat and he'll hesitate for a second. The, uh, the, the guy closing out will just have like a, a perfect setup for defense. He'll, he'll be able to establish like a perfect defense from Isaac. He won't really take advantage. His first step is like pretty slow because of that lack of athleticism. I think that he has. So I, I guess what I'm saying is that kind of uh, stigma surrounding him, I think is, is maybe, maybe a little bit unfair. I think that he can improve his first step. Although that's not likely. I think more likely is that he can learn better technique and catching and going right away. Uh, his one dribble to the left pull up is really great. So if he can just kind of stick in his wheelhouse, which he often did and why he was overall a really efficient player um, at FSU and what you said were minutes less than probably he deserved, right? Because of like their, their 10 deep rotation. I think he's a perfect NBA player and I don't think you need him to be uh, somebody who kind of wants to have a usage above what he truly can. Right. Well, is that fair or does it no, sound no, like no, I'm no. Just- I'm just no, I, I think that's totally fair. And I couldn't agree with you more that it, it, he's much more comfortable with the speed of the game and he sees the game and his IQ is higher on the defensive end than it is on the offensive end, it, which is a super interesting thing to watch. Cause like you said, you watch film of Isaac and you see very quickly, he's stunning to admit, you know, when he's got the weak side, he's stunning to the man getting back to his, he's cut, you know, his timing is good coming for weak side blocks. I mean, the way he sees defense, or reads the the offense and makes defensive rotations is very impressive. Yeah. Offensively, on the other hand, yeah, he's not good at dealing with closeout when a closeout when a guy's running at him. He really doesn't have a plan, and he's, he reacts very late. Um, and that's when his shot mechanics really go down the toilet. Is when he's yeah. got a closeout coming at him. But no, 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 I think all that's very fair. To me, he's just. <clears throat> I guess my problem is I look at Isaac and I want to believe like this is that superstar that can come out of this class. And he, he very well may be. But what's frustrating to me is that he, there's, there are enough things there that make him so incredibly hard to forecast. Um, and I think that's that's really where my frustration with him comes from. But I agree with you 
at the end of the day, when June 22nd gets here, the likelihood of him climbing is much higher than, than falling. I, I would definitely yeah. agree with you there. I think you're right. And it's all about expectations, right? Like just, just slotting him say, Hey, this is the role that you're going to play in the NBA. It's a role that's sorely, sorely needed. And you know, you're not going to make all-star games, which is fine. Like, you know, there are rarely are the guys picked in the draft that make all-star games. Like these guys are, are super, super rare. There are maybe two a draft, right? So just expectations. Isaac isn't going to be, uh, in leading the Knicks to their next championship, right? Alongside right. Porzingis, he's going to be the perfect role man. Which, on every championship team, uh, those guys are really the kind of thing that pushes you over the top, right? Sure, absolutely. All right, well, let's uh, let's change gears a little bit. Uh, we mentioned earlier that I think it's generally agreed upon that when you get past number 11, 12, 13, somewhere in that range, differing on opinions this draft really changes in terms yeah. of quality. And that's important for the Hornets, obviously, because they're at 11. So they're right in the middle of that range. Sean, you look at on your big board prospects, 11 to 30. Tell me a few guys that, or maybe even the people are putting into the second round right now. Tell me a few players that you think will have lottery hype, you know, around them come draft night and guys that, at the 11th pick that aren't considered to, to be worthy of that right now, you wouldn't be upset with. Give us a few names. Okay. Uh, this is a good question. Again, like I said, I feel like the consensus of this year, just like as far as rating guys and understanding guys has melded uh, so quickly. Like there is such a strong consensus about it, I guess maybe is a better way to put it. Um, are we counting Donovan Mitchell or is he somebody that like, since he's slated there so strongly, especially recently, maybe he's not like the sexiest pick, but Donovan Mitchell there, Obviously, I wouldn't be disappointed if somebody picked him there. I, another person that I like and I've been watching a lot of film of recently, and maybe this is just because there are so many guys in this uh, section of the draft that you're asking about that I don't like at all, is Semi Ojale. I, I think, I think Semi Ojale, like, a lot like Isaac, obviously he doesn't have the ceiling that Isaac has, but a lot like Isaac, he has a very clearly defined role in the NBA, and he's already very good at it. And despite some really, really athletic testing at the combine, um, I think that he's an okay athlete, right? He's not maybe that like crazy athlete that, that he showed in like the, the, the shuttle cones or, or the, the high jump. I think he was like top three and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think he doesn't functionally, he doesn't play like that kind of athlete, but he's so effective because he's going to give you the spacing. Now you're going to put him in the corner and that's totally fine, right? He can't make a lot of high level reads. You're not going to ask him to do any of that kind of stuff. You're going to ask him, you're going to say, Hey, here are like the three choices that you're going to make on every play. And you're just going to get really good at making these reads. And of course, when we're talking about these guys, there has to be an understanding that they're not going to be ready to contribute like in a net positive way to any of these teams for maybe like the first two or three years, right? It's going to take a while, but usually the gifts that he does have, uh, the arms, like the length, I think the defensive versatility, the strength not to get back down on switches. Like if you're switching late onto a five, if he has to, or even onto a one because of his length, I don't mind that late in a shot clock. So in switch heavy stuff, I think he makes decently sound decisions. He's not, he doesn't have that great feel that Isaac has and that some of these other players have in like switching schemes already, but it's decent enough to where you, I, you, I don't think you have any concerns about it. And then just the spot up shooting is something that's so smooth, so consistent. I don't think it's unreasonable at all to project that that's going to continue in the NBA. What do you, what are your guys feelings on, on Ojale? We actually Richie talked about him. him. 
previously on a, on a, on a previous show, and I, I like them. I like them a lot. It's weird. I think that uh, even in Draft Express, they have them in the second round, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't, I don't see second-round talent in that guy. I see first-round talent. Just his body, his build, he can fend off some fives at the rim if he were to be you know switched onto a five but yeah his role on offense is definitely you know a pick and pop game get him out for three or like you say stick him in the corner do you see any draymond green in him or is that just too convenient of a comparison (laughs) yeah yeah let's let's stay away from that draymond green is the only draymond green he's so so good and um Mm -hmm. like he you know he like invented this role that he owns Mm -hmm. so well he's one of the smartest defensive players I think I've ever watched uh, just like the high level and their system is so complex. Um, there's been a lot of great stories recently about this as the finals approach, right? And it's all Cavs and warrior centric now in media, but the, Draymond green is Draymond green. And I don't really compare anyone to Draymond green. <laughs> that's uh, that's really unfair to people, but I think who's someone else that, that's pretty good on defense. You know, I'm trying to think, uh, I tell you who I think, it, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, you know, we want to talk about this guy on defense that can switch. Out. And we're, we're going to talk about him a little bit here in a, uh, a little later. But real quickly, I mean, I think Ananobi, I mean, I think he could be the most versatile defensive player in this draft. Um, I, there's some serious red flags there, obviously, yeah. the injury and how long he's actually going to be out. But I mean, you want to talk about a guy and he's saying all the right things in, in these, you know, and he said all the right things in the combine and in his interviews. I mean, he's a guy who's going to bring a dif- defensive profile and approach to the NBA. You, you talk about a guy who is going to be put out there as not only the defensive anchor, hopefully one day in the NBA, but a guy who you can pretty much run a switch-centric defense with. I think it's Ananobi. Yeah, that's interesting. So <laughs> I I hate to like <laughs> be this contrarian guy. I think for the most part, you're right. I recently, on this last podcast that I released with Jay-Z Maslish, um, he was a really smart guy. We, we actually broke him down a lot. And I, and so just recently, like OG's fresh on the mind. I've, uh, I've watched like a lot of film on him recently and something that I kind of think about while he is superior in so many ways to Jonathan Isaac, as far as his physical tools to be a defender, right? The strength there strength, I think is one of the most underrated defensive qualities that we talk about just because you can't get pushed off your spot. Uh, NBA officials allow you a little bit. If the context is initiated early to kind of ride a guy down the lane and make it a little bit harder for him to explode. Definitely off two feet, which a lot of driving guards like to do uh, driving wings like to do, excuse me. So in an like it has a lot of those things, obviously the length, right? The seven, two wingspan. He, uh, he also, he plays really long, his two foot explosion is obscene. So like just rebounding, you think you think that he would be great. All of these things speak to somebody who's really, really great. The fluidity side to side, like you're talking about being able to being able to guard one through five. I don't like switching on to one late in the shot clock is fine, but definitely fives. You think botting them up immediately is great with that length. But the problem is that you know, you didn't see a lot of high level decision-making on film. And I, it's, it's difficult to say this exactly because there's probably a lot of variability, but feel is something that I don't expect very often to improve that much. Um, I, I, it's not like you have it or you don't kind of thing, but I do think that it, it doesn't improve a whole lot. So in an OB, obviously we know that he's been not being, he's not been playing basketball as long as everybody else in this class, right? Like you look at Jason Tatum and it looks like he's been playing AAU basketball since he was eight years old, right? Like little things that he does. He just looks so coached, so polished. 
Ananobi, not so much, obviously. So maybe you think, hey, Sean, he just doesn't have the kind of experience, and that'll come. I, I worry. I worry about him being in a switch-heavy system. Now, if you, if you want to say, Ananobi, go take the best player on the other team, two through five, and lock them down every minute you're there, we're not going to switch with you. You're going to go over and on through every screen, right? Uh, I think that kind of stuff, you're going to like deny every pass to this guy. That's where he's really, really going to shine. Put him on an island, and he's great. That de- that defender in the NBA is rare, um, super valuable. I don't know if he's as valuable as like a really great switching guy, but um, and and like maybe I'm being a little bit too harsh. I'm not saying he's going to be awful in the switching system, but I don't know that he's going to like. There are just so many decisions to make, especially for bigs that are in the back that have to call out a lot of stuff, not just the centers but also the forwards. Um, it gets complex and he just doesn't make those kind of reads now stick him on like, even like a Chris Paul, somebody who's slowing down a little bit, um, who likes to bully other people. I, I love it. Like I, I like it a lot. Most point guards, honestly, I feel like he's fine with, unless they're super lightning quick Conley guys. Um, and then two through five, I'm fine with put him on, put him on there, say, shut him down the whole game. But the switching stuff, I worry. So, and offensively, I think you're probably going to get nothing from him. Uh, if, if, if the shot comes, then he's crazy valuable, but I, I will, I think you should probably bet against that, right? There's like a, let's say a 20% chance, maybe a 10% chance that that happens. So like maybe it happens. I'm not saying it can't happen, but I'm saying you should bet against it if you're going to Vegas with it. Um, so I just, I don't, I think people have him a little bit too high. I think a little bit outside the lottery makes sense for you guys at 11. I would be, I would be, I would be worried. Let's say that. I've definitely cooled <laughs> off on OG. Definitely cooled off on him. He just reminds me a little bit too much of, of MKG on the offensive end. And but that's a great point that you're bringing up on the defensive end. Like he might have the the physical tools to play, you know, against a two through five player on offense, but maybe it's just the mindset and the IQ that he doesn't have yet because he hasn't been playing for so long. So he might physically be able to switch onto these players, but the, the mental aspect might not be there yet. Yeah. And that's tough to say, right? Like I understand this is kind of like a, a nebulous thing to talk about. And maybe I sound a little bit more certain than I am, but uh, I, I would just say that I'm worried. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I, I mean, no, I understand what you're saying. It makes a lot of sense. I, I just like, I like what he can do. Um, I like his frame. I like his athleticism. I, yeah. you know, I, I don't know how he's going to be able to thank the game, you know, after he's been in the league for three or four years. I mean, I think it's obvious watching him play right now. It's going to take him at least that, um, until we have a good feel for, you know, like you said, how he's going to be able to read things in the yeah. defensive end, especially if a team's going to ask him to switch a lot. But I think it's undeniable that his ceiling is very high. And that putting the right system with the right coaches, with the right type of patience uh, from a franchise, I think this is a guy that could be really special. You know, I, so how do you feel I, about his motor? That's something that I go back and forth about. Uh, like sometimes you don't see it on offense. It's almost never there unless he has like a great cutting lane or something on defense. It kind of comes and goes. It's, I don't know with him. It seems like he's, he's not trying and all of a sudden he explodes. Maybe it's just like aesthetically how he moves. Maybe it looks like he doesn't have a great motor. It just seems like he should be rebound than he does. His rebounding rate is really, really poor for the position that he was put in at Indiana. And uh, I, I just, I worry a little bit about his motor, but then again, like if somebody could make a strong case to me that his motor is totally fine and I would buy it too. I'm a little on the fence. How do you feel about that? Well, I think that the game looks a little fast for him sometimes. I mean, I agree with you there. I, his IQ is not, is certainly not there yet. I don't know 
that and this might make sense, might not, but I don't know that <laughs> I don't know that motor and IQ aren't mutually exclusive, right? So, like, if I can't think the game at the at, at the highest level, then it's going to appear like I have a low motor, but it's not necessarily the case. I, I'm just my head spinning because I can't, you know, the game's too fast for me right now. Um, and I don't know what my next move is to me. That's more OG's problem at this stage than the actual motor. I mean, I think this is a guy who, and again, I mean, there's a very small sample size from Indiana. I mean, his freshman season, he didn't play a very large role. Uh, his sophomore season, he didn't, he played 15 games and they injured his knee. So, you know, there's a small sample size to go off of here, but he shows those physical flashes to be able to keep the ball in front, to be able to be a rim protector on the weak side, to be able to switch across different positions, um, to be able to you know get off his feet and finish the rim with authority. Um, you know, I, I do see a jump shot that has potential down the road as a catch and shoot. It, I don't think it's broken. It's not great. Certainly not broken. Um, I just. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to put like the he doesn't have the motor he needs to have tag on him. I just think he doesn't. He's still learning the game. And look, but at the end of the day, that probably does mean he falls down draft boards and he might fall out of the lottery. But whoever drafts him, I don't think it's a secret that like you're going to have to be super patient and you're going to have to coach <laughs> coach the crap out of this guy. You know, what I mean, he's, good point. He, good point. He's, he's one of those prospects and. So it's going to take patience. It's something that I personally would like Charlotte to put more of a priority on. Uh, they haven't done that in a long time with the draft, and that's fine. But I, I don't know. I, I just really like what Ananobi, you know, assuming he can stay healthy generally, no more serious knee injuries. And, and uh, I just really like what he can bring to the table as an athlete. He is a, he's a physical specimen uh, that you don't find uh, – come across very often, especially with the way that he moves. But, uh, but look, all your points are extremely valid. Um, you know, I just preach, preach patience on this guy, but Hey, look, yeah. Sean, I want to ask you about one more guy before we move on to the next topic. And he's a tobacco road, a uh, hot topic. As you can imagine, we've talked about him in the past. Uh, man, the opinions on him are all over the place. Harry Giles out of Duke. We all know the history on him. Uh, a lot of injuries here too. Never looked like he was healthy last year in his freshman season at Duke. Never really, cracked the rotation and got a serious role he did late in the season they, they depended on him off the bench uh, for minutes in the middle but what do you see with Giles in terms of number one his potential in let's say five season down down the road in the NBA and where do you think he belongs on draft night let me let me interject real quick you see how Spencer loves these players with these uh these knee problems <laughs> <laughs> I, I like potential richie you know that's why i decided to, to go uh recruit you and now we've got this wonderful Busby radio show i mean look i know how to i know how to identify talent i, I will say that and kemp is his favorite player too with that knee injury <laughs> <laughs> but, well, hey look what kemp turned out to be i know <laughs> Well, that's great. I don't know how you can bash your partner after that great compliment that he just gave you. I mean, that was pretty smooth. I, I, I don't mind that at all. I Okay, so the Giles thing, man, who knows, right? Like, that's the first thing we have to nail down here is that he is a mystery box. And, uh, you know, there, there's going to be medical red flags, all that kind of stuff. Obviously, that stuff is getting um, a little bit more tol- tolerable just because in sports we see now that guys, you know, ACLs are not season, uh, career-ending st- injuries anymore, right? Guys are coming back earlier and earlier. Uh, a lot of the technology around that's getting better. It's not as invasive of a surgery anymore, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know how much I would, uh, put his stock 
on the health concerns. Obviously, that's a factor. But a lot of it is just, man, like, who knows? And the best film on this guy, I think, I think is when he played in uh, FIBA tournaments with, with like the, you know, under 16 teams, under 17, under 18 teams. Yes. And in that, in that film, which honestly I've seen a lot of because, uh, you know, if you have a draft podcast, you're looking at a lot of these high school guys all the time. I, I never loved him to be honest. And he's super young. Like it's hard to say, obviously there's a ton of variance. How guys turn out, uh, is varies wildly from that early stage. But since that's the best stuff we have to go off, like mostly my opinion is formed from that. I think that offensively he was always a five, right? A lot of people pegged him coming in as a power forward. There were some rumors that he can shoot this and that you almost never saw that. Um, his biggest attribute was always his motor. He doesn't have, um, the kind of defensive production in those FIBA games that you think now a lot of guys struggle because they're like high energy guys and they're super athletic and they play a, like a slightly different style in FIBA. And there are a few rules on defense that, that change exactly how you defend certain teams. And especially at the rim, it gets a little bit different and they call everything. So a lot of the bigs get really frustrated and you saw that a lot with Giles, but, um, I offensively, he was always just kind of a black hole. I didn't have a ton of feel like the passing was never there. I always worried about him on that end defensively. He has all the gifts and the crazy motor and, uh, the, the perimeter versatility, right. To switch out everywhere. And he definitely has like the dog, right. If, if you want to call it that on that side. So I was totally fine, um, putting him really high in the draft. In fact, because of a lot of guys that I trusted, I had him in my top tier, like preseason coming in. I put, that was kind of a lesson for me. I probably should have just trusted my own eye, but I think that, um, I think that one, he's a mystery box. So if anyone drafts him, anyone like outside of maybe the top 11 or 12, like you're saying, that's kind of where it drops off. I'm fine with anybody taking him. I'm like, okay, you did your homework. That's fine with me. His upside is obviously still there because of the, the length and the athleticism and the mobility. Uh, I, gosh, I don't know. Is that, is that a fair answer? Can I just end with, I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, that's what I, I mean. Look, that's that there is no answer. You know, I, he's a mystery. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I I'm with you on the FIBA film. Like I watched that and, no, you don't watch him shoot the ball and think, oh, man, this guy really has a chance to be a decent shooter, you know, a space guy one day in the league. But he did showcase more of it. He showcased a little bit of a dribble game, a two dribble game. He showcased a little bit more of his uh, explosiveness getting off the floor. I mean, it, I've never seen a guy, especially at his age, that, and I know he dealt with numerous injury issues, but he almost looks like when you watch the film from Duke last season – he almost looks like a completely different opposite athlete than he was in high school because he ju- you can just tell he does not trust his body. He did not move side to side. Um, well, he moved side to side like he was just waiting on his knee to just crumble right there. Right. Um, and he still tried to play with that motor and get on the floor and get after loose balls and work harder than you and, and to protect the rim. But he, it's just kind of crazy to me how different of an athlete he looked like at Duke in one season than he did in high school. I mean, that it, it's really shocking to me. And the only explanation is if he's out there playing, he's obviously, he's been cleared by doctors. People are telling him, Hey, you're good to go out there. The only explanation is he just did not trust his body at all. And I think if you talk to people around the ACC uh, and things that I've heard, I mean, that, that is almost a fact. I mean, people will tell you there's no question. And Giles 
was pretty adamant, um, you know, with his body language and maybe some stuff that he said that he just didn't trust his body, which is really sad for a kid his age. But if he ever gets to the point where he does again, I mean, I think he can return to that athlete that we saw in high school. Yeah, I think so. I like, like I said before, the medical stuff, uh, nowadays has advanced to a point where you don't always see guys lose a ton of athleticism. Obviously his case is particularly extreme, right? With, uh, both knees having that surgery and then having the meniscus stuff. I, I, who knows? I, I like him as a, definitely as a defensive prospect, my kind of draft philosophy as, as much as maybe you can call it that I think I'm leaning toward kind of being a little bit safer at the top of the draft. Um, and then taking more risk as you get further down because the, the drafts, the later you go, like it just, it really, really drops off. You're like, once you get outside of the lottery, finding a rotation player turns out to be, um, not probable where you're drafting. Most of the times the guys stick on an end of a bench. Um, don't maybe even make it past their first contract in the NBA. Obviously a lot, most of the second rounders, right. They don't even, they don't even make uh, a, a team for more than like a season or two. They're kind of just lottery or they're kind of just uh, cap fodder at the end of the bench. Right. So taking Giles at like tw- once it gets to 20, it's like, man, that's a crapshoot anyway. Definitely take a chance on this kid. I'm totally fine with that mentality. Um, even at like 15, the, the odds of you find like a really, really good productive player at 15 is even pretty low. So taking him there, I'm fine with it. I think what you talked about just usually when you watch high school film and there are athletes that really, really stand out Jalen Brown being one of them, right? Just the first example of possible. Jalen Brown was a freak in high school. Harry Giles matched him, if not way above that. So to see those guys come into college who usually are freaks before and are still freaks at the college level and obviously don't look like such freaks at the NBA level, but are still pretty athletic. Like Jalen Brown still looks athletic at the NBA level. Harry Giles was that legit athlete and he still yeah. might be who knows if it's the mental stuff. Like, like you're talking about, I don't know. I'm, I'm not like a psychologist. I haven't sat down with him. I'm not inside of his head, but, uh, but you know, I think we all kind of hope that he'll return to that because definitely he's an exciting athlete and it would be, it would be great. It'd be a cool story. Definitely to see him return. So we interrupt this great podcast that you're listening to. My name is Kevin Rayfuse. I'm Tim Tompkins. And I'm Justin Kuzart. And we host the drive and dish NBA podcast. We cover every team in the league and a bunch of really fun segments like random NBA player, drive and Dougal, and hot takes from Reddit. So when you're done listening to this podcast, give us a search on iTunes or whatever podcast streaming app you're listening on. We're also at driveanddishpodcast.com. We are the Drive and Dish NBA podcast. All right, so let's uh, let's segue into kind of the last portion of the show here, and let's try to go through uh, each one of these prospects in just a few minutes each just because we're running up against the clock. But, Richie, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, Sean, we're going to hit you with a few prospects um, that we've become very intrigued with. And just tell us briefly what you think about them. We've already just discussed a few of them. And then their possible fit on the Hornets roster and if you like that or not. Okay. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you know much about our roster and our and our struggles this year. Uh, we're definitely looking for some bench scoring, and our defense kind of tailed off throughout this, the year. So we're definitely always looking for a player that can play on both ends of the court. And then, obviously, our backup point guard position is definitely an issue. So if we don't dre- address it in the draft, we're going to have to address it uh, come free agency or just ride it out with sessions, which is not 
ideal. So a couple of these players <laughs> ha, uh, are combo guards or point guards that we're looking at. So the first guy that a lot of people are talking about is, is, is Frank Nilakina. He won't blow you out of the, you know, the water athletically, but a very smooth and crafty player. Slowly improved his perimeter game uh, and definitely has shown he could operate the point guard position. And I think the biggest asset, I think we've touched upon this, is the fact that he can switch across probably one, twos, and threes. A uh, very lanky guy uh, on the court. But, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, what, what are your thoughts on him? Do you think that he fits well with the Hornets? I know that our, our best player is a point guard, but we definitely need a player that can play beside Kemba, but also run that second unit. So uh, your thoughts on, on Neela Keen, and I know you even talked about maybe him even being somewhat even with Fox in, in, in your, your list. Yeah, I actually have him a little bit above Fox. I really, really like him. I think that he's the kind of player that fits on successful basketball teams. Uh, I, as far as like drafting for fit at 11, it's going to be more difficult to do. I think like finding contributors right away is difficult. Finding a player at all who turns into like a low end starter, or like a rotation player at 11 is kind of hit or miss. I mean, it's not super difficult, but like the odds tell you that uh, it's like kind of flipping a coin. It but isn't Charlotte. Nilekina, <laughs> <laughs> and Charlotte, you're right, is is particularly difficult to draft for some reason. Maybe there's some kind of draft vortex there that we can't see. Some kind of spiritual, <laughs> I don't know, Air Jordanness. I don't know that's that's messing with uh, <laughs> messing with something over there. But I think Nilekina, like if we are going to talk about fit, obviously, like you hit it on the head, right? Uh, having a high usage guard, or at, maybe not even a high usage, but like usage plus assist percentage guard in Kemba Walker, who's kind of like an underrated passer. I think, um, he fits definitely really well. Now he's 18. He's one of the youngest guys in this draft. If not, I think the youngest guy in this draft. So immediate production, like don't get salty, right? If he doesn't produce this first two, two and a half years. Um, so I, I think that long-term he's the kind of guy that you want in your quote unquote farm system, uh, development, kind of guy and eventually sitting aside Kemba taking the harder of the two defensive assignments one two maybe even three if he's able to put on a, a considerable amount of weight yeah I love his fit there if he gets to you at 11 I would I would be dancing in the streets well that's good I mean I think a lot of people are leaning towards him he's actually I think third on my list I have him behind uh, Donovan Mitchell and Zach Collins but the, yeah, the next guy that I want to talk about is is my number one guy Donovan Mitchell I gushed on him on the on the last last episode. In in Charlotte, we rarely choose a player that has like this like extreme athletic ability that just kind of jumps off the page. We always go with like the solid, sound player that has all these fundamentals, has played basketball for a long time. Uh, but we never go with necessarily a guy that has a lot of athletic ability and has some potential. I, I don't know why that is, but I, I think this guy, you know, he can he plays an impact on both ends of the court on the defensive end. He can guard ones and twos, I believe. And I know offensively, he's still learning to make better decisions. His IQ is slowly progressing, uh, but he's definitely showing great, great strides shooting the ball. Like you talked about before his, his early uh, freshman year, he did not shoot the ball too well, but he also works well in the pick and roll game. So, and that's a staple in, in Charlotte's offense. So this is my guy for the Hornets. I wonder how you feel about him. Is it too high at 11 and, it sounds like you actually favor Nilakina over Mitchell, but what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I think I do favor Nilakina, but Mitchell is not too far behind. I I really really like Nilakina. One of my favorite plays 
uh, scouting like any of these guys, one of the, like the thing that just jumps off the page, like when you're watching uh, Kawhi Leonard and Draymond Green and defensively, like all the wonderful decisions and athleticism that they showcase uh, and the, like just the incredible length and all that kind of stuff that you see, Donovan Mitchell has maybe two or three of those a game. Like he's really spectacular on defense. There's one play. I know I'm supposed to go quick. I'll, I'll say this super quick. There's one play when they were playing UNC where Joel Barry had him on the ropes. He had to close out to him really fast and Joel uh, pump faked and easily could have driven around him. But Donovan so, so quickly took the perfect angle, exploded backwards, cut the drive off. And then so Barry perfectly, like he should have stepped back into a wide open three pointer and against anybody else. This is like the exact like step back situation that you want, right? You want somebody uh, leaning on their back foot, that kind of thing. Mitchell gathers like perfect balance explodes. And that six ten wingspan that he has, he actually gets to and blocks relatively easily. The, the, the Barry three, that kind of stuff happened all the time. Mitchell, I think right away will surprise a little people, a little like some people with the kind of uh, defensive minutes that he's going to earn. Now on the offensive end, the shooting, I, I question like that's something that's not always easy to project. He's decent at the free throw line. Like you said, he has a little bit of feel in the pick and roll. So offensively uh, there's like, there's some feel there to work with. If the shooting comes around, which like maybe it will, maybe it won't. If it does, he could be like one of the guys that we look back and say like, you know, how did, how did we miss on the guy? And particularly because you said he can guard ones and twos really well. I think maybe he can even guard threes really well. Cause he's super strong and who cares? Like, where the top of your head comes in space in basketball. That doesn't matter, right? It's like, how far can I reach? It's my standing reach that actually matters right. in my, in my wingspan and all that kind of stuff is off the charts because of that six ten wingspan that we talked about. So like he actually has length, although people kind of undersell that aspect for him a little bit. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> Mitchell, I'm, I'm glad to hear you gush on him too, Sean. He's, I think he's my favorite prospect for the Hornets too. I think he could be there. Um, I think the Hornets fan base in general is pretty sold on Donovan Mitchell uh, right now. So glad to hear you say that stuff about him. Reminds me a lot of Marcus Smart, um, actually, with just just his approach, his strength. He's a strong guard who's versatile defensively. I think he's got more offensive upside than Smart does. I would hope All so. Right. <laughs> hey, look. Hey, Smart just scored 27 against the Cavs in, in Game 3 in Cleveland. So he showed a flash. Uh, in those playoffs. All right, quickly, I got two guys for you. We talked about one of them earlier, so I'm going to plug a different one at you with number two. Zach Collins, very efficient player last year. Um, really like his potential to be able to stretch the floor eventually. I, th- I think he has a good shot. Um, strong. I think he can play five. I think he can play some four. This is a versatile guy that I think is just solid. Kind of that guy that um, that Richie described a minute ago that Charlotte's become really good at drafting. He actually reminds me a little bit of Cody Zeller. What do you think about Zach Collins and possibly his fit in Charlotte, Sean? I think people underrate his upside a lot. On Ode to Odin, we talked about upside, um, I think, as realistically as we can. And a lot of the research shows that I, like we equate upside a lot with just raw athleticism, uh, kind of the power, like OG and OV, right. As like the perfect specimen of upside, like deer and Fox is kind of the perfect specimen of upside, but it turns out that upside is, can also be measured in like in very many ways in skill development. And it turns out the guys that are better at skill early, turns out they progress often, um, past where guys who kind of like an OG Ananobi who don't have it early. And you think, Oh, once they add that, they'll be incredible. Turns out that the guys that already have skill, they add it at a similar, if not an increased rate. 
and end up outstripping those guys. Obviously, like Nikola Jokic is the prime example here, right? Uh, an incredibly like net positive player in the NBA because he's maybe already the best offensive center in the league. And he's not very good defensively. Obviously we know that he's like average to like below average in that area. But I think Zach Collins is one of the most underrated players. I sometimes like there are nights where I just kind of trust my gut and trust the analytics and put him top five. Everything about this guy screams modern NBA, um, his stretchability, um, his, his motor on defense, his length, Mm -hmm. his intelligence, not to foul. That's actually a really, really big one now. Okay. The red flags on him are his feel on offense. And I, I, maybe I hesitate to say feel it's difficult to know because he has such a high usage rate when he would play on the second units early in the season, when he really, really started racking up a lot of the stats that heavily weighted the stuff um, that changed a little bit later in the season, he would have an entry pass and then he would always shoot it, right? So every time he touched the ball, he's shooting the ball in the post, uh, which skewed his stats a little bit and made him look maybe like a little bit better of a player than he was. He was super, super efficient. But in all of like the normal NBA stuff, he can do really, really well. When he's pressured and he has to put the ball on the deck, which is going to be rare for a five like him playing the role that he's going to play in the NBA, when he has to pass, that's kind of where I get really nervous. A lot of the big, really productive fives on good teams um, can pass. If you, if you're not the, like the freak athletically who can switch one through five, blah, 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 you have to be able to pass a little bit on offense. And that's where his game like starts to show like, Hey, maybe yeah, he doesn't have that great ceiling, but everything else about him, every, like li- almost everything else about him. I love. Yeah. The passing is definitely his biggest weakness. It makes me nervous, but I love his motor. Uh, I, I love him down the road. I mean, I think it is worse. Zach Collins is a solid rotation player in the NBA and, and kind of to your point earlier, how many of these guys aren't going to be that right? Not many. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> most of yeah. them are going to be rotation guys. And I think Zach Collins is a shoe in there. All right. Last guy shares the last name, uh, but different first name. And he's a tobacco <laughs> road guy, John Collins. I, one of the most efficient basketball players in college last year. I really like him, and I think he could climb before it's all said and done. Probably similar to Zach in a lot of ways. Doesn't stretch the floor, but I'm not so sure that he can't. He just he was uh, he was around a lot of guards at Wake Forest that dominated the ball. Uh, it's just not what they ask him to do. What are your thoughts on John Collins? Because I think he's a super solid prospect. I um. <laughs> I, I, I hate to be negative, Nancy. I know I have been like this whole podcast. <laughs> no, no, not I, at all. I, that's why, that's think, why you're the expert. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys obviously watch as much as I do and we all have opinions. And if you're, you know, it's like, it's like baseball, right? Like everybody's wrong. If you're batting like 33%, if you're batting 333, then you're like good at this, right? So, you know, everybody's wrong a lot. I think John Collins is probably, um, when all said and done a second round level, uh, value, Like, what is he going to do in the NBA? I don't get it. Like his role at Wake Forest, it almost in no way translates. Um, And on defense where he's going to have to have more value. I mean, as you go down the positions in the NBA, or I don't know, I guess up in the positions in the NBA uh, from point guard to center, defensive value matters more and more and more. He is like a mess on defense. I, uh, I just, I I really, really struggle to see where he's going to be. Now, if, this fabled shot that you see a lot in these uh, workout videos recently, if that's real, which I, I think you have to bet against just because he didn't do it. And I think most of the time, like that's how it actually pans out. I think you have to bet against the shot. The way that he scores is not 
an efficient play in the NBA and coaches aren't going to call his number that way. People that are talking about him as like an off the bench um, guy to like score. I, I don't think it makes a ton of sense if so, like in interviews, he's also very impressive and that sometimes I think can be deceiving. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I struggle. I just don't, I don't know where his NBA fit. Like, what does he do that you see anybody like a successful big in the NBA do? What is he doing now? That's, that's like that because I, okay. So the offensive motor is the one thing, right? Like if he's going to get a lot of offensive putbacks, I'm fine with that, but I don't think that's somebody that's uh, that brings a lot of like, that's his only thing that he's going to do well. Obviously that's not somebody who brings a ton of value. So I don't, maybe, maybe you can sell me uh, on him just because I I'm, I'm not sold at all. Yeah, no <clears throat> defense was sloppy. It was a mess. Um, one thing I would say about his defense is that he was in a messy system um, under Danny Manning that, that really, it showed improvement this year, but, but not a ton. I, I see an athlete in Collins that, that is going to be able to make the defensive leap. Um, it, it's, it's not going to happen overnight, but this is a guy that moves well has he has good instincts i think he can be not a shot blocker but i think he's a guy you can put on the back line and feel comfortable uh with making the right rotations and bothering shots there um you know he was a good he's a really good rebounder you mentioned his his prowess on the offensive glass which is probably his greatest strength but he's efficient around the basket scoring the ball anyways not only that but I, i think that something that's not talked about enough is that not a lot of offense was run through him at all. And he almost averaged 20 points a game at Wake Forest. Again, he played around some guards that pounded the ball constantly. Um, you know, not that he's going to go into an NBA offense and, and get plugged in as the feature guy. Uh, but I think there's a lot about John Collins that we just weren't able to see at Wake Forest because he depended so much on his motor. Uh, and he still was able to be one of the most efficient players in the, in the game. I just think there's a lot more to uncover here. And I wish we had more time to talk about Collins. Sean and I obviously differ on opinion. So if you like like what Sean said tonight, don't follow me leading up to the draft. (laughs) Follow Sean or vice versa. But look, Sean, we do do appreciate you coming on. You're super knowledgeable about this stuff. So we're definitely, you know, hopefully we can have you on again before uh, sometime in the next three weeks before draft night gets here. But thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And and thanks again to Sean Darenthal for joining us to discuss the upcoming June 22nd draft. Sean, real quick, let everyone know where they can find your shows to listen to as the draft approaches, where they can follow you on Twitter, anything you want to plug from your website. Yeah, uh, just quickly at Ode to Odin. Uh, You can find me on any podcast aggregator, iTunes, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Um, If you follow me on Twitter, you'll, you'll find everything uh, o to com is, is my website. I, I don't do a great job of updating it, but I have a few buddies who are smart guys and post stuff there sometimes. And that stuff is, is definitely worthwhile. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. I think you guys are good. There's a reason why I kept listening. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, I appreciate, I appreciate the invite. Yeah. We say, well, we appreciate you coming on, man. We'll do this again real soon. Richie, let the listeners know where they can find Buzzbeat radio online and how they can take the show with them on the go. Of course, of course. Yeah, you guys could download this episode, which is episode 27, and take it on the go on the computer or in the car. Check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or your other favorite podcasting apps. Uh, We definitely appreciate all the support so far, and we love if you can give us a review and rating on iTunes. It does go a long way. Thank you guys, and see you guys next time. All right, don't forget to check out all the great draft coverage over at queencityhoops.com. Currently, we will continue the Hornets draft buzz series all the way up to draft night. 
It's the most in-depth coverage of everything surrounding the Hornets draft that there is out there. So please make sure you go check that out. Thanks again for listening. We'll see everyone next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.